Hi, everyone. How's it going? Great. Very <laughs> thrilling. Wow. It's been that good I of a week. I feel that. <laughs> I, no, I feel that too this week. I, I, we were talking this morning as we were setting up of like, I just, I'm having trouble getting going this morning. And I don't know if that's uh, in the air or if that's lots of people, but if that's you, no, you're, you're not alone. I feel the same way. Um, but it was good to sing. And it was, it's always, I like when Kezia leads us. I'm biased, but that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's okay. Uh, yeah, so these, uh, these last uh, few weeks post-Easter uh, in the traditional church calendar, we're in the season of Easter. There's 50 days that make up that uh, season after Easter, so we, we can say that we're still in the Easter season. And uh, this is the time in the church that we often will retell the story of the early Jesus movement forming after Jesus' death and resurrection. And we've been doing a bit of that here uh, in the, the uh, way we're inspiring our, our, our talks this, uh, this, uh, these few weeks. So on Easter Sunday, uh, if you were with us, I suggested one way we can situate ourselves in that story of like the early Jesus movement forming is considering the age-old struggle that we're, any of us might still be in today is hope versus cynicism. And that is a lot of what is uh, coloring um, some of that early story. In the first century Jewish world, as we talked about on Easter, you have uh, Jewish people or many other uh, oppressed peoples under the Roman Empire's oppression. And the debate that captured the Jewish people was, is there a resurrection of the dead? Which wasn't about like is, is there, uh, is, it's not about like personal glorification of an individual like Jesus, even though that was assigned to Jesus later on. But when they asked about the resurrection of the dead, is there a resurrection of the dead? That was about a universal thing. It was about cosmic justice and comfort for all people. Will, will every tear be wiped from every eye? Is there a God that sees how crappy some, sometimes things are, how unjust sometimes things are? Um, will we see our loved ones again, you know, after it? And, and uh, what we were working on Easter is like regular modern life doesn't necessarily do us favors to help us choose hope. Uh, we don't talk about the resurrection of the dead as the first century Jews did, but we have that same, like, is, does anybody see this? Is there a God that sees this? Um, so that, that, that was what we were kind of getting into on Easter, yeah. And then the past couple of weeks, we've looked at stories of the risen Jesus in the gospel, um, kind of as windows into what it means to be an active partnership with God. Mm -hmm. And I think that this partnership often begins with an awareness of things like hope and curiosity hope. and justice. Yes, or yes. I can hold to it as best I can. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we look at these stories, really clinging to hope and the promise of justice seems to be at the core of the early Jesus movement. And we see that in really radical ways in storytelling, but we also see it in just really ordinary actions, like gathering together and sharing a meal together and walking with one another. And so from Jesus's closest disciples to the later followers whose experiences are also captured in the Bible, we have this continuity of the impact of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I've been seeing it as this trajectory of hope and justice, and that's embodied in Jesus, but we see it carried on, embodied in the early church, even as they're just trying to figure things out. Yeah, and even as we are using different languages and different references and different metaphors and all of that stuff, that same kind of thing is, is what, when, when I want to sing that song, Baby, hold on. Mm -hmm. Damn, it's long. It's I'm tired. It's the same I, type of question. Same type same of, question. Type of longings. Right. Yeah. So we're 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 kind of we're, we're just you, we're 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 dropping into their world so that we can apply it to our world. Uh, so in in the generation or two that would that would follow after Jesus is you know like ne the next fifty years after Jesus, a couple of generations. People lived shorter back then. Um, the the writings that would eventually make up the New Testament of the Bible would all be written down and would all be dispersed and and then start to be compiled and then eventually would form into the Bible as we know it. Um, and the 
these writings were written to encourage and instruct people how to hold to hope. There is a universal justice to all things. There is, there is comfort for us when we are the suffering and when we feel like it, we just have to baby hold on because it's hard mm -hmm. and it's tired. Um, and, uh, and so today we want to talk about one way we can imagine uh, there's a spectrum in those encouragements and those instructions that the New Testament offers. If this isn't the only way we can look at this, but this is one lens that I think would be helpful for us to look through today and how we might find that helpful for our own hope versus cynicism struggle. And so what we want you to do is imagine a, imagine a tension, like a, like a rope held in tension on both sides, and then we're going to put a scripture from the New Testament on either side of that tension, and we're going to work that for a little while. So um, on one side, we're going to put the scripture... Uh, John 10, 10, which is this famous scripture, uh, I, G Jesus is speaking, came that people may have life and have it abundantly. And then on the other side, we're going to put this scripture, 1 Peter 2, which is uh, uh, ascribed to uh, the Apostle Peter. Unclear scholars are not sure if it was written by Peter himself or if it was written by somebody in Peter's name because they, they, they loved Peter. They were a disciple of Peter. And that, that scripture is, if you endure when you do good and suffer for it, this is a commendable thing before God. So two pretty different statements there, and both of these make up the New Testament, and we're going to hold them in tension. On the one side, we have God comes to us in Jesus that we may have life, you know, and this is where the, uh, the but, you know, phrase that's all over popular culture, life to the full, comes mm -hmm. from, it comes from Jesus. Imagine that, that, that that's where that uh, phrase, and you know, now, as I was joking about last week, it's in like insurance policies. You want to have life to the full, let us help you protect the <laughs> things so you can have life to the full. You know, I mean, like, that phrase is everywhere, but this is where it comes from. Uh, and it's a very, like, can-do message, right? Hope is possible, grab at it drives us toward joy as the ultimate goal in life. It's the, it's the resurrection side of the story, if you will. And then on the other side, this 1 Peter 2 passage, if you endure when you do good and suffer for it, this is a commendable thing before God. This is like God commends us when we suffer as Jesus did. So it is not the joy side. It is the you can have meaning. That is the ultimate goal in life, even when suffering is happening. And, you know, this, it's a very dose of realism kind of message. Life is hard, but don't lose hope. Uh, a little bit more like the Baby Hold On song that we were singing, right? Don't, don't, uh, don't return abuse or, or threat when that happens to you because you can hold on. Uh, so this tension, that's what we're going to work for a little bit. What do, you, what do you see in the tension? Yeah, I think another thing that comes to mind for me too in this on the John 10.10 side um, is also abundant life beyond just yourself. This mm -hmm, idea mm -hmm. that through Jesus you can have life and have it to the full. I could see that as a motivation behind things like service work service and partnering work. Sure. with other people sure. and helping others. It can be an individual invitation to pursue good things, things that bring you joy. Yeah. And I think it can also be a communal invitation to make joy possible yes. for others yes. too. And then on the other side with the first Peter passage, um, I think this speaks to the idea that meaning is still possible in the midst of suffering, mm -hmm. not when you have been fully on the other side, when you're seeing the relief from it, but actually in the midst. Um, there's a few sayings here that I think come from this mm -hmm. idea of the mm -hmm. like, it's asking the same question as why do bad things happen to good people? Sure, it's absolutely. It's trying to make sense of that question. Yes, yeah. And I think that there's a there's a fine line between over spiritualizing and actually helpful pieces of hope, which we'll get into a little bit more too. 
But what this passage can say is that even when bad things happen, when suffering is taking place, you can find meaning and strength and beauty, and that's commendable, and yes. it's a good thing. Yeah. Jesus is with you in that. It's that very solidarity message. Yeah. 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 There's that natural connection to the, like, your suffering is not in vain yeah. type messaging. Yes. Yeah, there. which is, is some, I mean, for many people, I, I can think of times where your suffering is not in vain is exactly the message that I want to hear. So both both of these um, messages we find in the New Testament and, and find meaningful, and yet there's a tension between them. And, uh, and one of the things that we wanted to uh, get everybody wondering on your own is uh, chances are each of you have had experiences of messages or ideas like that that capture one side of this tension or the other and maybe you've had those in religious settings or maybe you've had those in other sort of American cultural messages that you get and we're wondering like hmm what think about you know, the messages you've received do you feel like it's on one side or the other do you feel like you've gotten a little bit of both maybe I wonder, I wonder what it looks like for each of us. Um, we, uh, we ha- we're trying to think about, if we're thinking about religious messaging, we're going to add a line here to our little spectrum. And what we might argue is that evangelicalism or non-denominational megachurches or many black church traditions can tend to over-represent the John 10, 10 side, the pursue joy, um, while Catholicism or mainline Protestantism, so Uh, if you grew up Methodist or Episcopal or other uh, liberal traditions in the church, those can tend to over-represent the 1 Peter 2 side, the the pursue meaning side. And uh, that's interesting. I I think it's not necessarily break down perfectly, but depending on what you grew up in, perhaps that feels true to you. And even a little visual here, I was thinking about this morning, that often um, Catholicism tends to use the image of the crucifix with yes. Jesus still on the cross. Yes. And other Christian traditions don't have Jesus still nailed to the cross. The empty tomb after Easter, yes. So yeah. there's mm-hmm. even in just that visual depiction and what you're looking to as a symbol of hope, one is a lot more tied to death and suffering and one is a lot more tied to resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So there are awesome things to both of these sides. The best version of the pursue joy side is like this grounding and connection with God is promising things that we cannot promise ourselves. We tap into this kind of, I think, pursuit all the time here in this church. It's a quality of life that's elusive, but it's profound when you find it, that abundant life, that life to the fullness. Um, But the worst version of that side of the spectrum is turning Jesus into an American prosperity messenger, right? <laughs> and we talked about this a little bit uh, back in, in Lent, this kind of like Jesus saying, live your, le- live your best life now, right? Mm-hmm. Which can fall flat when we follow the rules, but life doesn't work out for us. Uh, we start to think like, what's the big idea here? Is God, is God terrible or did I do it wrong? And none of those can get us what we want. Yeah, yeah when this is the only messaging you're listening to, it's really just leading to more prosperity messaging. And I think... Prosperity gospel, which we talked a lot about during Lent, um, it can be easy to think of the most extreme examples of like really extreme accumulation of wealth and big houses as signs of favor of God, things like that. There's actually, it doesn't exist anymore, I checked, but there is this Instagram account for a while called Preachers and Sneakers, <laughs> and it was pictures of mega church pastors preaching, and then like, it would to tell you how much their oh, sneakers were worth. how much their sneakers worth. cost, okay, um, Preachers and Sneakers, yeah. Which I yeah. think I thought was kind of funny. Oh, that's too I saw bad, one that Someone's made a new one called uh, Preachers and Cheap Sneakers, which I appreciate. That would it's be, like, I that'd be me. For $10. <laughs> um, so there's these like examples that, I don't know, maybe seem extreme or even humorous sometimes, but I think 
the more on the ground relatable side of this is that this is just a really natural conclusion to come to that if I follow Jesus, I should have a full abundant and rewarding life yep. that we all, um, Kate Bowler talks a lot about this, but we all come up with our own versions of prosperity gospels. Mm -hmm, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's some bargaining that tends to take place there. And I think the biggest issue here is that it leads to a really deep dissatisfaction when things don't go to plan. Yes. When you don't get what you want or what you feel you deserve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's even messier than just being dissatisfied with your life because it's tied to more than that. And it's not just, oh, I'm dissatisfied with what my life looks like right now. I'm actually disillusioned with my entire belief system. Absolutely. And absolutely. that's super destabilizing. Yes, yeah. And I think that's why it's helpful to talk about these as a spectrum. Both of these types uh, that pursue joy mm -hmm. and the pursue meaning um, messages are in a like a well-balanced diet of spiritual encouragement. Yes. <laughs> but it is when they are overrepresented, which is what, what I think that's the the most extreme examples of overrepresentation of pursue that abundant life is the prosperity gospel, right? Yeah. Like, and so that, and, and, and that we see it um, in, in countless more subtle ways when that is overrepresented to a, to a lesser degree, but still not held in tension with the pursue meaning side. Yeah. Um, so maybe let's yeah. talk about what it looks like to kind of overemphasize the pursue yes, meaning side. Yes, on the pursue meaning too. side, right. And I'm already seeing in the chat as several people are mentioning like growing up Lutheran or growing up Catholic, uh, that they definitely feel like the pursue meaning side uh, was their story. Um, and again, uh, the, our our uh, our examples may not be perfect, but chances are, if you grew up in a more evangelical or megachurch uh, setting, that you feel more attached to that. Oh yeah, that that pursue joy sound sounds like one of the messages I heard. But the uh, the best version on the pursue meaning side, this First Peter two side, is that this grounding in God's familiarity with. With, with, with suffering, God's solidarity and suffering. God is with us and suffering. I mean, like that can produce incredible stories of overcoming and of resilience. And I certainly feel that in my own life. Uh, but a problematic version of this is the very like self-flagellating, like you have to suffer for life to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I love the comedian Conan O'Brien and Conan O'Brien grew up Irish Catholic and he often talks about how that is absolutely the message that he received. If you are not suffering, if something is not hard, it's not meaningful at all. Mm -hmm. And he, a lot of his comedy is kind of birthed out of reckoning with the overrepresentation of that message in his life. Um, you know, like this, this, uh, this can lead to manipulation, right? It can be like, look what, look what Jesus did for you. The least you can do is fill in the blank, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it, it turns out really, really driven, but very grim and cynical adults. So it is not helping with that whole hope versus cynicism thing. It's probably making it worse for a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, the worst version of this is it, it really flippantly communicates to people who experience more systematic suffering, so oppression, because they are not in the majority or they're a minoritized group in a larger picture. So if you are black or brown or if you are LGBTQ, for example, if you're a woman, for example, then the message that, when that message is delivered to you and overrepresented, it basically is like, be a good victim now. Don't don't, don't don't mess with the status quo mm -hmm. and that I mean that that's really flippant and, yeah. and dangerous yeah I think the more I've thought about this one I think it's most dangerous form is when those in power are using this messaging against the oppressed um, for example elevating suffering as like the way to experience meaning definitely has some critiques from a lot of different liberation yes. theologians yes. especially from womanist uh, theologians which is liberation theology from black women's perspective um, and I think that the difference here is 
the idea of there's meaning in the midst of suffering, that is a message of survival. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But your suffering is the only path to meeting. That that's can be... That's where you have problems. Yeah, yes. that can be a mm -hmm. message of complacency. Mm -hmm. It can be really dangerous um, because it gets this idea that like there isn't any hope for you now. Yes. Your worth is in your suffering. And so you can only hope in what is to come. And it really limits the possibilities of justice yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to pull a, uh, a chat from um, uh, from our, our online chat right now uh, from Ed today, uh, which I think is really great because it kind of talks about um, how we how generations um, and and uh, like so I'm just going to read. He says this is a kind of debate I'm constantly having with parents. Uh, they want me to pursue joy, whereas I want to. Uh, more purpose and meaning, but when I view it from their lens, poor immigrant family, they have struggled a lot raising their family and don't want their kids to struggle too, I can understand why they feel the way they do. And I think that really, really well captures that um, we're, we we don't just think about these tensions of pursue joy, pursue meaning, as though like we're just choosing it, but that we are wrapped up in stories, mm -hmm. stories that are swinging from one pendulum to the other based on as, as our families unfold. And uh, I just think that that's a really important uh, way to recognize that our, our own relationship with our parents might be involved here. Yeah, and I think both sides of this tension sound really different and mean different things coming even, from oh, different, different stories generations. and experiences yes, too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Definitely. Um, but maybe we can talk a little bit about some of our experiences yeah, here yeah. too. Yeah, where are you uh, um, in terms of that spectrum? Like, Where do you most experience? So when I was thinking about this earlier this week, the scene from Harry Potter popped in my head. Mm -hmm which last week I was being nerdy talking about Gnosticism and this week I'm talking about Harry Potter. It's like I'm <laughs> It's like a role reversal here. What are you, what are you, are you trying to get on my block? <laughs> but there's this scene where Harry and his friends are in class and they're reading tea leaves in a teacup um, and they're interpreting what this means for mm -hmm. their future. And Ron looks at Harry's cup and the professor asks what he sees and he says, and I promise I won't do a bad British accent to like reenact this, <laughs> but he says something along the lines of like, oh, there's a cross, so there's trials and suffering, and then that could be the sun, so that's happiness. And then this is the line that's always stayed with me. So you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it just gets at how confusing this can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's pretty on par with the messaging that I received growing up in an evangelical setting because there was kind of simultaneously like both messages going you had on. both, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so have abundant life, or I think it's really close neighbor is um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens mm -hmm, me, sure. which I still want that mug. That's like, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. <laughs> so yes. if anyone sees that. Really good. We could put that one right here. Right there. Just so everybody can see it. Yeah. Um, but this basic idea of like, when you follow Jesus, you deserve good things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, is so, so that uh, you're making your own prosperity gospel. Yes, okay. yeah. definitely. And there's a good side of this that like God wants good things for you. There's a relational God that loves you Absolutely. and cares about you and Absolutely. is involved. We need that, yeah. But the difficult side, I think the more shadow side, is that classic, like, when things don't go to plan. And so for me, it was when I started to have more issues with physical and mental health. The answer was a lot. It just kind of reinforced this idea of personal failure around all of that, that, like, you need to be praying more. You need to be trusting God more. Like, clearly, there's not something. Yeah. Like, the equation's not lining up here, so it's on you it's to fix that. Fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, the shadow side of the pursue joy and abundant life yeah. messaging. But I definitely also had that dose of suffering is the way to meaning messaging too. Um, internalizing this idea really from a young age that following God's will 
which was talked about a lot, mm -hmm. um, inherently meant that I needed to suffer. Mm -hmm. So like what I wanted in life was just gonna be way different mm -hmm. from what God would want mm -hmm. from me. And I'd have to yes. deny myself my yeah. own desires. So it's that like, you're gonna suffer, mm -hmm. but you're gonna be happy about it. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Always, I always experienced uh, from, um, in the, in, in the settings where I heard that kind of message more, there would be this kind of humor talked um, uh, when, when you're talking about like, uh, well, you know, like, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard, but you know, it's God. And, mm -hmm. and, and the moment somebody would make a joke like that, you would be, you'd, you'd be clear like, oh yeah, they are, they are drawing from that playbook. That, that's what's being overrepresented for them is, because if it's God, it's going to be hard. And that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. And again, Lots of good stuff to that, but also if it's overrepresented, I think we're missing the point a little bit. Yeah. 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 yeah I, so I've shared before, I didn't grow up uh, terribly spiritual or, or religious, uh, but I did grow up culturally Catholic in Chicago, and uh, that very much has a First Peter 2 vibe, pursue meaning, uh, suffering is commendable. Um, I definitely felt that whole, um, this is why I think I like Conan O'Brien, because it, you know, the important things in life should hurt at least a little bit, you know, and, and, uh, and I feel that. Um, and I, I, I mean, I feel positive and negative about it. I do think that I, I have developed a resiliency as mm -hmm. a result of uh, some of those messages forming me early on. But I am also perfectionistic and I have a tendency to punish myself and not pay attention to my body. And that also is the result of those messages. And then later on as a young adult, I encountered the world of non-denominational churches for the first time, and that was, I think, probably the most quoted passage that I heard in mm. those settings was John 10, 10, of I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, super, super popular to hear that, that uh, or like that being like the mission statement of a church or something like that. It's like, it, it comes down to this one scripture. And, and the best, um, I think, like most nuanced takes about that would describe life to the full or life abundant as including things that also are difficult and mm -hmm. challenging. And so I don't think I got totally bad messages all the time, but even those takes, I, st I still think they overrepresented like um, the, the personal agency, you know, behind mm -hmm. this of like, you can choose joy. And that works for a white middle-class upwardly mobile person like me, you know, like uh, especially like, it, like generations that are that that grew up pre two thousand eight recession, you know, of like uh, like I, I'm I think I'm I'm the first group of uh, or I'm among the first group of like even white males in America who even hear that message and are like, really, is that the case? Because I'm pretty sure my prospects are are, are lesser than my parents' prospects as a result of the the world that we live in, and so like I've been driven toward like being skeptical about that, and I don't like I, I so I, I just think. To me, even the best versions of the um, abundant life, abundant life, abundant life, they still need to have that tension because you can't just choose joy all the time. And it's super easy for me to say that you can, but for those who experience more systematic oppression, absolutely not. That, 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 that's the definition of systematic oppression is things don't work for you mm -hmm. the way that they do for those for whom the world is built. Yeah, I think it may be a, a helpful stepping stone kind of along the lines of what you're talking about here. I had a friend um, who a couple of years ago helped with me reframe this idea of what abundant life even is, which we'll get into looking at the actual passage in just a moment here. Um, but even just thinking of abundant life as more of life. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's more of mm -hmm. everything, more mm -hmm. of the good, more of the bad, more, more of the mundane, more yeah. of the normal, whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Um, so even that like slight reframe, which it sounds like some of the messages that you heard were trying to do that. It's absolutely. It's absolutely. still, it's a stepping stone in the right direction of like, there's more to be acknowledged in abundant life and yeah. what we think of. So there. let's talk about those because we, 
don't yeah. we don't dislike either of these messages. We we love them and we just want them to be intention. So what does it look like um, if holding to hope instead of cynicism requires honoring this tension? Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 does that look like? What what can we do with these passages to to do that? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that we can actually look to these passages and see them holding more than just what they're kind of boiled down to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, more than just the the little verse that gets uh, not completely taken out of context, but zoomed in on a little bit too much and becomes the loud voice that we hear. So when we actually look at John 10.10, 10, where this idea of abundant life or life to the full comes from, um, we see that God, the context of it is actually God as a trustworthy guide and companion, not the message of accelerate and accumulate and ascend that we might be associating with abundant life. So I will, we'll put this up for you yep. and I'll go ahead and read that. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the first thing I'll point out here, it's one of my favorite things when Jesus when they're like, they did not understand what they were saying to yeah, them. Because I think about all the times they were yeah. like, it's so clear, look at the text. I'm like, <laughs> they didn't get it either. Um, but I think when we're putting this idea of abundant life in the context of this passage, it's actually in the context of this relationship between a shepherd and sheep. So you have a guide and a companion in finding safe pasture. I love that line of, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Yeah. So I think it's really easy for us in our own context to connect abundance with accumulation, mm-hmm. um, which is where you get both the justification for peer, for uh, prosperity gospels and this critique that like pursuing joy is selfish and yeah. you're putting yeah. too much of your own wants and desires into things. Um, so this connection between abundance and accumulation. Mm. But abundant life in this passage where we have a shepherd that is close with his sheep is actually um, set apart from what kills, steals, and destroys. Yeah. And I love that the scene for abundance is set in a pasture, not like a shopping mall. <laughs> it's not the market, right? It's a pasture. Pretty sure it wouldn't be a shopping mall, but I love that. Yes, yeah. But yeah, whatever, not yeah, yes, yeah, not yeah. the market. It's good. Um, that there would be some provision provided here, like you're eating, feeding, whatever yes, it may be, but yeah. there's also rest and yes. being able to let your guard down because a familiar shepherd and guide is close by. Yeah. And so I think it's been helpful for me to think about an abundant life through Jesus as restorative, not accumulative, that um, it feels a lot more communal and meaningful that instead of this like hyper-individualism that can kind of twist our idea of what it means to have life to the full in a context where we're forced to compete and keep up Absolutely. and accumulate. Yes. So the, the potential reframe here is 
instead of abundant meaning accumulate, abundant can mean restorative. I love that. And that just feels like it, it, it allows us to go to that message when we need it. It goes to that encouragement when we need it and not overrepresent it or, 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 or uh, misinterpret it. That's yeah. good. That's really good. Um, the, if we can go to the First Peter 2 side, um, the, the context um, in this greater passage where we get that, you know, your suffering is commendable before God, uh, the context is God's solidarity and suffering, God knowing. It is not, it's not punish yourself, uh, nor is it, if Jesus endured the cross, you better stop your complaining. Uh, and so I'll put this up on the screen and I'll read this as we can kind of see the, the greater context. Uh, For it is a commendable thing if being aware of God, a person endures pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you, are, when you do good and suffer for it, this is a commendable thing before God. For to, you, for, for to this you have been called because Christ Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth, is the quotation. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. By his wounds, you have been healed. And it's also important uh, that we often remind ourselves here at Brownline uh, that the cross is, is about humanity's demand for punishment and violence. That's what we are seeing happening there. Not God. God is not demanding punishment and violence uh, in order to love people. So when, when this scripture in particular says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, we're not to read that as Jesus is a substitute for God's outlet for needing to, to, for somebody to feel it so he could forgive sin. We read that as Jesus literally bore humanity's sins in his body because he was the recipient of violence and, and the worst human tendencies. Uh, and so this, this idea that, that Jesus can be a, a model to us for how we can, we can react to suffering uh, or react to injustice or react to uh, being, being, in a, uh, be, uh, being in pain as a result of doing good it, this idea that, that that is what 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 drives us there is God's solidarity with us in that God has done the same thing or God knows what it is like to be there and that's where this we get this idea of by Jesus's wounds we are healed Jesus's wounds show us God's healing presence always with us when we are the ones who are suffering for doing good I'm wondering, um, as we're unpacking these, if there is an example that comes to mind for you of someone who, in your life, has honored this tension between joy and meaning and has found hope. Yeah, I mean, because that is the real question, mm -hmm. is um, is it possible to do this? Um, is it possible to hold to this hope, and you know, what does that look like in the real life? I, I think of a friend of mine named Dave, um, who is, I think, simultaneously the most hopeful person or one of the most hopeful people I know mm -hmm. and most realistic people I know and, uh, and really able to capture that um, that that uh, what sometimes feels like a dichotomy he has cultivated both the pursuit of joy but also meaning in his life and he is he's near 60 now so he's had a lot more time to um, work on that than I have um, and uh, but I, I think what it's led him to do is, is like fostering both of those pursuits is that he is not reactive in the highs and lows of life. Hmm. You know how like 
you, I mean, even I, I, we started today saying like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to, to get moving this morning. And what I want to be like when I grow up is not reactive when that happens, when I have a bad morning. Uh, or not reactive when I have a great week and I'm thinking, everything's coming up, Vince. And, you know, and then not ready for the, you know, for, for the fact that not everything is going to come up, Vince, all the time. Um, he's, he's never reactive about that. He's not swept up in the highs and the lows. He doesn't overgeneralize about life. He doesn't overgeneralize about God. He just, like, he knows intuitively when to lean into, like, that more can-do energy of, like, I'm going to ask God for abundant life right now and, and look to that and when to activate the more dose of reality stuff of, like, God, I'm turning to you to be with me because this, uh, I, I, I see no way out and I need help that I cannot give myself. Um, I, I just think, like, with so many years, like, spent uh, really, like, being a model for me and uh, in, in doing that, I, th I think one of the great things about um, what I, the way I view Dave is that God's character is not mysterious to him. Hmm. You think about a lot of, I, uh, maybe the, to struggle with prayer can kind of feel like, um, God, where are you? Or, or God, do you even care? And I don't see Dave struggle with this. I think because he is able to hold this tension and he's able to see God as doing both things, making promises for abundant life, but also being with him in suffering. And I, I mean, that to me, like, oh, like I think overrepresentation of joy often means that our view of God is God must be withholding from me for some reason, like mm -hmm. because of my, I, I'm not doing it right, as you were sharing before, or because God has his mysterious ways. Um, but overrepresenting the meaning side leads to this view that like God wants us to be miserable. And I just, Dave doesn't struggle with either. And, and that, the, to, to me, it, I think it's going to take time because, again, mm -hmm. I, I think he has, he has spent years and years bouncing back and forth, using these, these calls from God as he experiences them and, and not overrepresenting one side or the other. But I want to get there. And I, like, I, I, re I remember calling him when I was having a, a particularly like, cynical day in uh, like an interpersonal relationship. And I was just like stuck and I just felt like there's no way out of this. There's no hope for my situation. I just call him because he's one of the people that I call when I need help. And he both like on that phone call, like he, he prayed for me in the most like John 10, 10 way. If you grew up like in an evangelical non-denominational church where somebody's just like, God, just come and, and bring blessing to this person. You know, like just the, the most, uh, the, 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 the most warm feelings you might have with those kind of prayers prays for me that way. And it was, just, and it was exactly what I, I mean. I, I felt calmed down. I felt, I felt uh, like God cares for me and sees me. But then also in that same phone call, he was like, I want to read you some sayings from the desert fathers and mothers of early <laughs> Christianity, which are like the height of First Peter 2 in the Christian tradition. It's like, when you, uh, when you are mistreated, you will like it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like that. But it's very cultivate humility. And he did both of those things with me in the same phone call. Um, Something about that, that, that's the picture of holding the tension. Yeah, I think um, you're really getting at that this is an active practice that you have to take up. It's not yeah. just something that you stumble into or a natural way of being. You, you can't rely on like your family of origin because as we were saying, like the, your families mm -hmm. will probably swing you back and forth. You have to actively choose, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really, I love this idea of um, the non-reactivity I think comes from just being attentive to the presence of God and that mm -hmm. that is what's stabilizing in the midst of the waves and the potential pulls in either direction, um, that that can be a really stabilizing force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's, there's a degree of, um, 
we'll, we'll often use the phrase listening prayer here of mm -hmm. prayers that are not about expressing uh, a desire or a want to God, but a sense that like uh, we're using, we're, we're quieting ourselves down, believing to the best our, our faith can manage that there is a God who has a, a will and a way for me that is better than my own and that that God is leading somewhere. And I can, I can intuit that if I kind of like take a flashlight in my internal world and look for where God is leading, I might be able to, to discern that. That kind of prayer I think is really, really helpful for holding this balance because we can start to sense, okay, I feel like the flashlight is landing on pursue joy or I feel like the mm -hmm. flashlight is landing on pursue meaning. Yeah, I think it'd be helpful here to land on just a couple of kind of practical mm -hmm. ways to live this into being, um, especially as we're seeing these as competing voices that are connected to our ability to name our experiences of God. Um, so something that I've been thinking about is just this uh, idea of being able to notice when you see the intertwining of joy and meaning or hope and grief or suffering and ease things are rarely all one thing. So often there's a lot going on all at once. And I think our tendency is to try to sort things into categories or immediately mm. rush into trying to yeah. find meaning for it. Yes. Like this, oh, this is happening and it means this, or yes. I am all in this one place right now. Um, but instead, if we can kind of take a step back and notice when we have these intertwining moments of pain and joy all at the same time, and just letting that be a reminder of God's presence, that like stabilizing, grounding force. And it could be just a really simple inner dialogue or prayer practice that if you feel yourself rushing to sort out your experiences, mm. maybe use that tension as a reminder to see God as both source of abundant life and fellow sufferer, yeah. not needing to sort things into one or the other. I like that. Yeah. I mean, even even the energy to answer quickly. I mean, even I, I, I feel like my own... Um, hyperactive, perfectionistic tendencies, even, even with what I'm describing like with listening prayer, needs to hear that because I, I do want to like, okay, uh, get to the conclusion, mm -hmm. decide where to go, and you're encouraging like, well, no, like slowing down can often be the experience of God that we need, mm -hmm. and maybe you don't need to sort it out so quickly. Maybe you don't need to know, maybe, maybe it's kind of, I mean, even the idea that like, the, it's, a, it's a false dichotomy to have to choose between these two things. The whole point that we're trying to drive at is you have to hold them together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I think my, my practical suggestion is just that this is really difficult to do on our own. Mm -hmm. And this is, um, the, I think, having third parties in prayer. Like, So if, if my suggestion of listening prayer or if this idea of slowing down um, feels... Uh, like like a, a something worth trying. My guess is that it's really really difficult to ha like have a good batting average on this by doing it just on your own, your own internal prayer life. And so this is where do like using the something like a faith community like like Brownline to practice these things together with other people can help. And so you you know using the Sunday morning space because this is a place where if you were to turn to somebody and say, "Hey, could you pray with me?" People would not look at you funny because that's literally why people come to church. So that like that that's something could that could help. But also like you know like what what even like what is the right language for me to use to ask for prayer? That's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable. It's confusing based on what you grew up in. Some maybe you were maybe you're on that like non-denominational evangelical megachurch side, and it's so normal for you to ask for prayer. But some of us that's not the case. Like we 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 didn't grow up having that modeled for us. Like what is that? So like. 
trying out different language, figuring out what, what would it look like for me to ask for prayer. Um, small groups are another great space. You know, again, like it's really difficult to maybe do this on your own in in the midst of life. But if you're if you're meeting with other people on a semi-regular basis and it's and and it's organized around church, that's another safe space where you could say. I could use some help. I'm trying to pray on my own, but I don't know how to. Or could you pray with me? Or could you pray for me? Those kind of things. Um, identifying some people who end up being like the go-to people for you is like the this the we talked about back in our belonging series. Like having that inner circle, having those folks that you 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 instinctively turn to when you're struggling to sort through something in your life on your own. That that just helps immensely. I think with with trying to hold this balance. Yeah, I love the idea of making this a communal effort. Um, keeping that trajectory of hope and justice embodied in Jesus and all the way continuing on to communities that we experience today. That mm-hmm. um, that seems like a really powerful thing and being able to lean into that, navigating the tensions um, instead of trying to take this all on your own just yeah. seems really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love to pray for us as we close. Um, And as an effort of slowing down and listening to the tensions, um, I thought that we could look to Psalm 23 as our prayer this morning. So this is the classic, the Lord is my shepherd psalm. So even if you didn't grow up in a religious setting and aren't familiar with this, you probably saw it like on a plaque at your Christian friend's house or something. (laughs) It's it's around. Um, But I would love to invite you into listening to these words. Um, And as you listen... Pay attention to what feels more natural and close and what feels more far off or foreign. So does it feel true to you that God offers restoration and comfort, goodness and mercy, kind of these ideas that go along with an abundant life? Does it feel true that God is close in the darkest valley, in the valley of the shadow of death? Mm. And if it doesn't, maybe just lean into that and listen. And um, the chances are someone around you, it does feel true to them. So that can be an opportunity to lean into the communal side of this as well. But if it helps you to close your eyes and bring to mind the setting of green pastures by still waters, not the marketplace, the green pastures by still waters, feel free to do that. And if um, you want to just use this time to focus on your breathing and to ground yourself, you can do that as well. So let's take a few deep breaths and then we'll read this passage together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Amen. Amen.